0: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Marty. I'm very, very excited to be here with you this morning. Um, I am uh, with my wife, our young adults pastors, and it's a, it is a, it is a privilege. It is an honor to get to lead um, a wonderful group of of people, a wonderful group that is in the formation of uh, their lives. Um, It's, it's really, really is an absolute honor. Um, I just like to take a quick moment to honor um, my pastor's dawn and joy. Because, um, they're here. Yeah. Um, I served under Don, uh, for 13, 14 years. Um, and I just, I'm just so thankful for the deposits that you gave to me and the ways that you trained me up, the ways that you trusted me for all those years. Um, I, I served as a, a worship leader, um, as a youth pastor, as uh, the administrator, all of the above, and, uh, and I'm just very, very thankful. So thank you for being here this morning. Um, I'd also like to just take a moment to honor our pastors, uh, J.O. and Radine. Like, I, I just, I can't, I can't think of, um, I, I'm just so thankful for the healthy leadership that, that we have here. Is anybody else thankful for the healthy leadership that we have here? I get, I get to teach uh, uh, some of the classes at, at GrowTrack, and I say it every, every class that comes through. I'm like, wow, I, I'm just, you could not have chosen uh, a better place because this is a healthy house with pastors that have pastors and pastors that have accountability and, uh, and that raise up young leaders and, and, and trust them. So thank you for trusting me this morning. Thank you. Okay, last one, my wife. (laughs) Yeah, It's been a journey. It's been a journey. And I'm so thankful for the ways that you inspire me, that you push me. I'm so thankful to have you by my side and me by yours. I'm so thankful to be leading this group with you, to be parenting our kids with you. Thank you. Thank you for standing with me. Okay. A couple years ago, we transitioned over the heart and. I remember it was probably one of the first gatherings or weekend gatherings that we came to, and Jo and Radine heard that we were going to kind of make our transition over, and uh, and 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 you know what? You want to know what the first thing that Jo said to me was? We don't set here. And I was like, not having a, a huge you know uh, history with Jo yet, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> And, and he could probably see the, the look of confusion on my face. And so he said it again, we don't sit here. And then it clicked. Oh, that's J.O. Southern for we don't sit here. <laughs> Got it. Okay, okay. Message received. Awesome. <laughs> I'm so thankful for J.O. pushing us. For, for, for laying the foundation. For like creating a culture of, of healthy servanthood. I'm so thankful for that. And I'll tell you what, we took a little bit of a, a, a break from serving when we came over here. Uh, but after a couple months, we felt like God was bringing us back into um, into serving in the church. And uh, we, uh, we I jumped on the worship team at that point. Um, it was COVID. So that was weird. Like, you know, being up in here in worship and nobody in the room. That was weird. Uh, but I jumped back on the worship team, my wife jumped onto the Bridges team for a little while, we started a small group, um, and then it was, uh, it was a couple years later that uh, I was asked to come and interview for the position of young adults. And the moment that I got that call, I knew what the answer was. I knew what the answer was. It, it's almost like it was an easy, easy answer, but at the same time it wasn't, you know? It wasn't exactly an easy answer. I knew the yes in my heart. I knew the yes in my spirit, but there was about a month of wrestling to get that yes from my spirit out into my soul and my flesh, <laughs> right? Uh, now it wasn't like my job previously I was teaching in Washington at the time. It wasn't like my, my job at the time had a bunch of zeros tacked onto the end of it, but it was hard in my soul and my flesh because this decision was directly tied to my bank account. Now, I'm credibly, incredibly thankful for the ways that my family has been taken care of, uh, but the reality is I had security. <laughs> I had comfort. Transitioning from a state-funded position to a nonprofit, it, it's different. It's, that's just the, the way it is. It's just different. I had security, I had comfort. I had a pension. Anybody else have a pension nowadays? They're, they're not very common. Yeah <laughs> I had a pension. I have my whole working life retirement in the bag. For the first time in my life, I had control. All right, now the preaching team has put together a a little bit of a statement here for us as we kind of conclude our Money Matters series. Has this not been an incredible series so far? Wow. Thank you. Thank you to the preaching team for for pushing us into this season of of sacrifice, of, of really putting our hearts in the right place. Here's the statement. People have a lot of different views, opinions, memories, and ideas pertaining to money. We recognize that it can be a touchy topic and that people can be particularly skeptical about church leaders talking about it from stage. It's been almost four years since we preached a series on finances. That being said, it is... This is the most important part. It is a topic that impacts all of our lives. It is a topic that Jesus talked about often. Often. And it is a topic that we, as shepherds, feel responsible to teach about so that the church can be equipped to have a healthy, biblical relationship with money. We have come to the conclusion, no matter who you are, money matters. So this morning, I'd like to take you on a a journey through scripture, I'll, I'll tell you what, as I was preparing, I, phew, I had a lot of scripture and, and I really, uh, really had to figure out, okay, God, what is it really that you wanna to speak to your church this morning? You know what, on that note, I'd like to pray. <laughs> Jesus, would you speak to your people this morning? Father God, help me to get out of the way. I don't want any, any, any of this to be my words. I don't want any of my preparation to get in the way of what you want to speak this morning. So Jesus, have your way. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way. In your name we pray, amen. 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 All right, we're going to start with Moses. This guy named Moses. Would you open your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 20? And I love that I see people moving around already. Numbers chapter 20. It's toward, uh, toward the beginning. I think it's the fourth book of the Bible. Yep. Like <clears throat> We're going to go to chapter 20. That is one of the most beautiful sounds. Pages flipping. <laughs> yeah. So I'll give you some quick background. This is about 40 years into uh, the, 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 the people of Israel, the, the, uh, the Hebrews walking in, well, not walking, I don't know, will, wandering in the wilderness. Let's, let's call it that. Wandering in the wilderness. It's about 40 years into it, which is about as long as they did wander in the wilderness. So we're about 40 years in, and the people, once again, are thirsty. It says this in chapter, er, chapter 20, verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarrelled with Moses and said, "Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord." Whew. Okay. <laughs> "Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle?" They're super concerned about their cattle. And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates and there's no water to drink. (laughs) Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock, say, tell the rock, before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff. Awesome, great, good job, Moses. He took the staff, just what God told him to do, from before the Lord as he commanded him. Verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Okay, Moses. (laughs) And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because, wait a second, whoa, wait, whoa. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Amen. Wait a sec. Ho- hold on, hold on. God. They brought the water from the rock. That was the goal, right? Sure. But there are some key phrases I'd like to bring your attention to. God told Moses to, number one, take the staff, and number two, tell the rock to yield its water. What did Moses do? He took the staff. Great, awesome, good job. And he struck the rock twice. With what? With the staff. God is more concerned with your obedience than your results. The water came out of the rock. What's the big deal, God? Why is it such a big deal? The mission was achieved. Yeah, okay, I I made a mistake. I might have, you know, not quite did it exactly how you wanted. But God, you still did what you said you would do. God wanted to take care of his people. He wanted to show his glory. The end of verse 13 says, through them he showed himself holy. Holy. So yeah, God did the miracle in public regardless. Mm -hmm. But God dealt with Moses and Aaron in private because he's more concerned with their obedience than their results. Moses' heart in that moment was not given to God. God is so much more concerned with your heart than with your results. Can I prove it to you? In the days of Malachi... The people were in the animals that they didn't care about and giving them as a sacrifice to God. Can I tell you, the book of Malachi is one of my favorite books. My daughter's name is Malachi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was actually a, a series on Malachi that Pastor Don preached years and years ago when I was 17 years old It was that series on excellence that made me want to give my entire life to Jesus. I was driving in the car on my way to work, twigs downtown Spokane, driving in my little red Nissan pickup. And I got this thought while I was listening to that message for the third time. The thought was, Jesus sent his disciples out with nothing, He sent his disciples with nothing. The clothes on their back and the shoes on their feet, that's all they were allowed to take. Why? Why? Because Jesus wanted to teach them (laughs) that you have to rely on God for everything. There is no other choice. If you want to live a life of obedience, you have to rely on God for everything. Man, I can just imagine the disciples. Jesus, I can't even pack a bag. What am I going to eat? Do you know how sweaty I get when I walk? These clothes are going to be very stinky. But Jesus wanted to teach them something. That's the cost of discipleship. All right, let's get back to Malachi. In the days of Malachi, the people were bringing the animals that they didn't care about and giving them as a sacrifice to God. They were bringing the blind ones, the skinny ones, the lame ones, the ones that were least valuable to them. Do you think God was happy about that? Do you think God was happy about that? I happen to know that he was not. It says in Malachi chapter one, verse nine, This is the New Living Translation. Go ahead. This is God speaking, by the way. Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? (sighs) Asks the Lord of heaven's armies, how I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. Why were they worthless? Why were the people bringing worthless sacrifices? Because their hearts weren't in it. God cares so much more about your hearts than he does about your results. Your obedience is is a result of your heart. You could say that they were bringing a sacrifice, technically speaking. They were bringing what was required of them. The results are the same, right? What were they bringing? The minimum. Why? Because they didn't care. Their their hearts did not belong to God. They didn't love him. Jesus said this thing, where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. Right. God is so much more concerned with your heart than with your results. Can I prove it to you again? Yeah. All right. Psalm chapter 40. This is David. Verse six through eight. Oh, you check this out. <laughs> verse six, you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Listen, this was a time where those things were required. Technically speaking, David was under the old covenant, the law. And so these offerings, these, they were technically required. Verse seven, then I said, look, I have come. By the way, this is David speaking prophetically about the new covenant because this, this, this next part right here, this is, this is what Jesus really wants. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I take joy in being obedient, not because of the results, but because I just want to be with you. Just for obedience sake. Right. Because you have my heart. Look, you can bring all the sacrifices and offerings you want, but if your heart isn't in it, he doesn't want it. You can serve. You can serve in the church. You can serve on the worship team. Man, you can lead a small group, you can do all the actions. You can read your Bible every day, even tithe. You can bring all the sacrifices or offerings, but if your heart isn't in it, I'm telling you, friends, he doesn't want it. What are you bringing to God? Do you bring the minimum? Does God get what's left over of your money? Does God get what's left over of your time? Does God get what's left over of your energy? Does your heart really belong to God? Look, I'm not here to accuse anyone of anything. I'm just asking questions of you that I've been asking of myself lately. Hear my heart. If you haven't given Him everything, you haven't given Him enough. A heart fully given to God is a heart of obedience. But check this out. Obedience requires action. Obedience requires action. So you can have the action and your heart not be in it. But if God has your heart, there will be action. As we learned in Malachi, you can do the action without the heart, but you can't have the heart without the action. Giving God your whole heart and your whole life does require action. James Come on, I love the book of James. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Obedience requires action. For some reason, God chooses to partner with us to accomplish his purposes here on earth. I don't know why. Don't ask me, because I am an imperfect vessel. Don't ask me why. But he wants to use you. He wants to partner with you for his purposes here on earth. He wants you to say yes. Obedience comes from a heart that is all in. When God doesn't have our whole heart, we tend to be disobedient. (laughs) Let's talk about why. Let's talk about the enemies of obedience for a moment. The first one comfort. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Are you comfortable? Because the only place you grow is outside of your comfort zone. It's just how it is. <laughs> Now, God already had performed many miracles through Moses. We're going to go back to Moses for a minute. Interestingly, with the use of his staff. Did you know, the first miracle Moses experienced was when God turned his staff into a snake at the burning bush. And then again, in front of Pharaoh in Egypt. The staff was used in some way or another in five of the ten plagues of Egypt. Did you know this? When the Israelites fought the Amalekites, Moses held up his arms, one with his staff in his hand, And while his arms were up, they won the battle. You may remember, this is the story of Aaron and Hur lifting up his hands because whenever they, he got tired and they they dropped, they started to lose the battle. But what was in one of his hands? The staff. The most interesting one that I find was 40 years earlier than the account that we just read. You remember that when he struck the rock and the water came out, this was 40 years after their wandering had started, so it was about at the end of their wandering. Get this. At the beginning of their wandering, the people were thirsty Exodus chapter 17. The people of Israel were complaining that they had no water. And you know what God said to Moses? Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. So even God is referring to something that that Moses had done before or that God had done through Moses with the staff. And then in verse six, so this is uh, 17, five and six. In verse 6, it says, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Could it be that Moses was comfortable with doing things the way he always had? My daughter, she's almost four years old. She has these two blankets that she trucks around with her everywhere she goes. The first thing when she goes downstairs every morning that she asks for is applesauce and my two blankies. My son, there's... (laughs) There's like this this moment when we go and put him up to bed for a nap or at the end of the day. And we know, we offer him this teddy bear, same teddy bear. It sits in his crib all, all day, just waiting for him to come back to bed, right? And we offer it to him. And if he grabs the teddy bear, that's how we know that it's time for, that he's ready for bed. I'm not kidding. If he pushes it away, that means I'm not tired. I'm not, I don't, I don't want that right now. Right? I don't. Or he's past tired and he's just stubborn and grumpy, right? Like there's a sweet spot. Any parents in the room know what I'm talking about? There's a sweet spot. <laughs> there's a sweet spot. But when he grabs that teddy bear, it's a source of comfort for him. Sometimes we gravitate toward physical objects that bring us comfort, yes, even as adults. Even as adults, maybe Moses, his staff, that was something that he was comfortable with. Like maybe he had begun to think the power was actually in the staff, rather than in God. Are there physical objects in your life that bring you comfort? I don't have my coffee up here right now, but if I'm a little uncomfortable. Are there physical objects in your life that bring you comfort that maybe you've come to rely on more than God? Maybe it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, some sort of addiction. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's your shoes. Any sneakerheads out there? don't, Don't answer that. Hey, 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 maybe it's your paycheck. Maybe it's your savings. Maybe it's your retirement. That pension, baby. The question becomes, if God asked you to, would you give up that thing? No matter how big it is. That's how you know if you've come to rely on that more than God. The story of the rich young ruler, it's a cute story until God asks you that question. Would you sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus? Look, if you guys don't want me to come back after this challenging message, I get it. I get it. Look, if you don't want Jesus to ask you that question, you better be sure your possessions and your bank account are not your source of safety and comfort. Okay, let's talk about the second enemy of obedience. Control. It's possible that Moses thought he was in control. Remember verse 10, Moses says, Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? He forgot who was really in control where the power was really coming from. Remember, Moses had done this before. Some 40 years earlier, God brought water from a rock by having Moses do what? Strike it with his staff. Control says, God, don't worry. I got this. I, I've done this before. Don't, I, I got this. It's in the bag. Control says, I know better than you, God. We want to know the outcome. We want to be in control. Say yes. Yes. Is there anybody in the room that knows what I'm talking about? Hey, Look, I mentioned earlier in my old job, as a teacher, I had comfort. I finally felt like I had control of my life. And then I remembered, control is, is an illusion. Control is an illusion. Whatever control you think you have, it's not real. Look, when you let go of control, sometimes the outcome looks different than you expected. But it's always better. It's always better when I'm not in control. Okay, the third fear of obedience or enemy of obedience, fear and doubt. It's kind of a combo package, yeah? Moses and Aaron were punished, not specifically for disobeying. Did you catch this? In in, in verse 12 of Numbers 20, because you did not believe in me. They were punished for the root beneath the disobedience. It wasn't the actual disobedience that caused them to, to be punished. It was the root, which was fear and doubt. Because you did not believe in me. I doubt that what he wants from me is really what's best for me. I doubt that he will really do what he says he'll do. I fear that he won't really be with me. I fear that I can't do it. Hey, there was another guy that said that same thing. I can't do it. His name was Moses. You remember when God met him at the burning bush? You know what he said? Send somebody else. Moses protested to God, who am I to appear appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, what did God answer? I will be with you. You, God did not say, you can do it, Moses. You got this. Hey, hey, you can do it. I believe in you. No. He said, you're right, Moses. You can't do it. But you know what? I will be with you. And I got to tell you today, God will be with you. When you serve in obedience, when you say, okay, I'm getting rid of fear and doubt. I'm getting rid of control. I'm getting rid of uh, uh, comfort. God says, I will be with you. You can't do it alone. You can't. You're right. But I will be with you. I will be with you. Have you learned that you cannot do it without him? Do you know that? Have you admitted yet that you can't do it without God? Listen, I have a prophetic word from God this morning for you. If you came looking for a word, here it is. If you would just trust me, I will be with you. If you would just trust me. I will be with you. Listen, if you haven't given him everything, you haven't given him enough. For myself and some others, giving Jesus everything and saying yes to his calling sometimes leads to vocational ministry, yes. But for most, it does not. It simply leads to a life of obedience and blessing, whatever God may call you to. But whatever it is, it will always be a sacrifice. That's why it's called faith. Give it a try. Start living the way God designed you to live and you'll find out soon enough that his ways are better, that he always knows better than you do. When God asked us to leave security and comfort and control behind, we knew anything less would be disobedience. It wasn't an easy decision in our flesh, but it was easy in our spirit. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does that look like, Marty? It simply looks like this. Make a choice. It's so hard, Marty. I get it. But do you know what God said about that? I know it's hard. And I'll be with you. I trust him. Not perfectly or as much as I'd like to sometimes. But yet he has transformed my life radically. And guess what? Now I feel like I'm doing what I was made to do. And I get to partner, partner with my wife in leading an amazing community. I'm so glad that we said yes. I wanna go back to the rich young ruler one more time. He came to Jesus saying, look, I've, I've done all the things. I've, I've, I've kept all the commandments. What am I still lacking? And what did Jesus say? Go, sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Why? Because Jesus knew that if he just came and followed him, he'd always have a backup plan. He'd always have a plan B. He always had something in reserve. He knew that he would not have this young man's heart fully. Honestly, I think we need to get away from this conversation of what percentage of my income do I need to give? Zero, five, 10, 20%. What percent of my life am I required to give? You think God wants 10% of your heart? Do you think God wants 10% of your life? The Acts 2 church gave everything. They gave 100%. Why? Because God had 100% of their heart. Jesus fulfilled the law, all the requirements. But guess what? He didn't just fulfill it. He raised the bar. The law told them not to commit adultery. You know what Jesus said? If you look on a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery. The law said do not murder. You know what Jesus said? If you hate your brother. You've committed murder in your heart. Jesus raised the bar in every respect, so we need to get away from this conversation of what is actually required of me by God. He requires everything. All you people that have been arguing over whether tithe is a New Testament, Old Testament requirement, whether it's required of us now. My first question for you, how much are you giving? Because if you were having that conversation with Jesus, what do you think he would say? Go. Sell everything. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. Am I saying that God is asking every one of us to do this? No, but don't let that no be an excuse to stop you from doing it if God is truly asking you to do it. Don't let that no stop you from being 100% obedient. I would say he's likely asking more people in the room to do that than you may think. Because in this Western world, hmm, I am the rich young ruler. We are the richest people in the world. Why do you think we've turned away from God so much? You may not feel very rich, but even the homeless here have much more opportunity than those in the slums of Haiti, which I've seen with my own eyes, or the favelas of Brazil, or in the ghettos of India. Whether Jesus is asking you for all, like the rich young ruler, or for anything else, if God asks you for it, any sacrifice is worth giving. Take the leap, test him. See if he will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you like a blessing that overflows. That's Bible. That's that's Bible. That's what it says. What if giving away cars and emptying bank accounts and savings accounts was the norm? What if there that wasn't really that amazing? (laughs) Because it happened all the time. Listen, we don't give to get. We give because we love. Because we love what? Because we love God and we love people. The greatest treasure is not our money. It's people. And we get to use money to bless and reach people. There is no greater investment of your money than into people. I wonder... If there's anyone in the room that has not yet given the lamb the reward of his suffering, yes, that reward is praise. Yes, that reward is my hands, my worship. But can I say it this way? That's just a tithe. The real reward of his suffering is not your money, it's your, and it's not your Sunday worship at church. It is your Monday through Sunday. It is your entire life the only reasonable response is 100%.